following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For the past several weeks, we've been on a journey uh, learning about the purposes and the meaning and the usefulness of spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Where are they found at? We haven't necessarily looked at any definitions yet. Uh, we'll probably cover that in the next couple of weeks. We've looked at spiritual gifts uh, as they are written by the Apostle Paul. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we've looked at Romans chapter 12, and now we move to 1 Corinthians 12, where we'll be in Corinthians for the next couple of weeks. We've also looked at spiritual gifts and the aspect of what did the Apostle Peter write about them. And so we, we learned that spiritual gifts are, are given out of God's manifold grace, and they're distributed across the body for usefulness. Uh, we've looked at specific uh, spiritual gifts such as an evangelist, a pastor, a preacher, a teacher for the equipping of these saints. And so that's been my goal through this whole sermon series is to pique your interest in what spiritual gifts are. There are still some uh, spiritual gift surveys out in the foyer. Uh, many of you have taken that. You've talked to me about what your response, what you've scored highly on, what you've scored low on. And, and the fact of the matter is that as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been given at least one, if not more, spiritual gifts already. It is now your responsibility to discover what that spiritual gift is. What is your purpose here in the body of Christ, which is what Paul is going to get into next week in 1 Corinthians 12, describing uh, the body of believers here as a literal human body, each part being like a part of the body, an eye, an ear, a hand, a foot, whatever it may be. Uh, in the spiritual gifts survey, it breaks it down into what the spiritual gifts are listed as, as they're found in all of these passages. You're not going to necessarily go to one place in the Bible and it's going to be bam, 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 there they are listed. You've got to kind of look at what each individual writer included in those different places as far as spiritual gifts go. So the question on the floor this morning is not necessarily what we should be doing as a church. That, that, that order has been given already in Matthew chapter 28 and other places. It's known as the Great Commission. Jesus said, go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what this course is all about is making disciples this is where discipleship begins at we have discipleship that occurs every sunday morning at 9 30 in our sunday school classes but my goal is is to take new believers and bring them up to a place to where we can put them in one of those sunday school classes and they'll understand what's being taught what's being said what their role as a new believer is but there are several aspects as a new believer that you really need to grasp to begin your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to make a disciple, you need to understand, you know, why am I here? What am I doing? What are those aspects for? So the question on the floor is not necessarily what we should be doing as a church. We've repeated that many, many times. Our two main goals here are to reach the lost 
and to make disciples, if we can do that effectively, then we are functioning as a church the way that we should, and we are fulfilling our purpose as a church. But you as an individual, what is your part in this grand scheme of things? What is it that you want to do? So that's the question on the floor this morning. The question on the floor is this. Are we doing what Jesus commanded? And if not, how do we accomplish it? We accomplish it by finding our spiritual gift and implementing it effectively into the body of Christ. Because each one of those spiritual gifts is different. They function differently. They serve a different purpose. But when they all come together, we see this unity that develops in fulfilling the Great Commission. So are we working as a unified body? Are we moving in the same direction with the same goal in mind? Are we seeking? Are we exercising? And are we implementing our spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities to further advance God's kingdom? As as I've stated before, there is a big, big difference between a spiritual gift and a talent. Everybody on this earth, whether they are a Christian or not, has talents that they are born with. Some are are naturally born with musical talents. They can play by ear. They can pick up an instrument, a guitar, a piano, whatever it is, and they can just play without any lesson or instruction. That is a talent. But a spiritual gift is something that is given to a child of God when they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, when they are born again, that goes to a specific function within a body of believers to accomplish the Great Commission. So in the book that I'm reading right now, Together We Equip, a guy by the name of Randy Stone, he writes on a section of spiritual gifts, and he states this, and I quote, As a spiritual organization, the church functions best as members exercise their spiritual gifts Within the body. And he refers to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as he writes this. He says, In my estimation, a person with virtually any spiritual gift can attain a certain level of leadership. However, maximum effectiveness largely results from spiritual giftedness complemented with other ministry competencies. Leaders should be familiar with their own gifts as well as those with whom they serve and lead, end quote. So as we begin to look at now some of these separate spiritual gifts and how they work to create a unified body, let's all stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Some of you are dying to know what's under the sheet up here on the stage with me. We're going to get to that here in just a little bit. Your curiosity is getting the best of you. Verse 1. And here's the biggest point that I want to make right here. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Paul is saying, look, you've got to find out what it is. I want to be crystal clear. I want you to be crystal clear on what your gift is. Because you can't go a step further as a church member and as a congregation until this is discovered. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant. 
You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. Therefore, and any time you see a therefore in the Bible, you look to see what it's there for. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Take note of that word same because you're going to see Paul repeating this throughout this passage. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. A spiritual gift does no good unless it profits or benefits the whole body. For to one is giving the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing each one individually as he wills. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your holy word, Lord God. It's here for a reason. It's here for a purpose. And, Lord, we see in this passage that there are things that you make crystal clear, Lord God. You don't hide them from us. You don't want us to be ignorant of them, Lord God. You want us to discover these truths, whether it's corporately or individually. And I pray this morning that you'll help us to discover, Lord God, how diverse our spiritual gifts are, but how they work together to create one unified body. Lord, speak through me now. The words that I need to speak, I pray that you hold back the words that do not need to be spoken. And I pray most of all, Lord God, that the words that you want to speak would fall on ears that are willing to hear and listen and respond to what the Spirit has to say to us. We just ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Four things in specific that I want to point out in this passage. Number one, as I mentioned in verse one, spiritual gifts are not concealed. They're not hidden from us. Paul states that clearly. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant on this matter. In other words, there's certain things that I can teach you. There's only so much that I can teach you, but you for yourself need to explore These spiritual gifts, where are they found in the Bible? Have I taken my spiritual gifts survey? Have I taken the time on my own to do my homework to find out what my spiritual gift is? So we don't watch a whole lot of TV at my house. Uh, We haven't been able to for a while, but now we are connected to this little thing on the back of the TV called a Roku. We can go back and look at different seasons of different shows and my wife is addicted to this show called Master Chef. I mean, she wants to get home and watch that as soon as she can. We've watched several different seasons. We've gone back to the season. Master Chef is all about home cooks that want to be professional chefs. They are judged by professional chefs that own their own restaurants. And each week it's a different challenge. 
Somebody goes home, somebody stays until they get down to the top shelf for that season. So from time to time, they'll know ahead of time what they're going to be cooking during the, the week's challenge that you're watching. But a lot of times, like this, they'll come in, they have no idea what it is, and they will have a challenge that is called the mystery box. They do it like this because they don't want them to know ahead. They don't want them to be thinking about what it is. They walk in. It's concealed to them what the ingredients for that week's challenge is. It's a mystery to every one of them. Now, sometimes it'll all be the same thing. It'll all be the same product that they're trying to do, and they're trying to produce a restaurant-quality meal. I was watching one of what we were watching (laughs) an episode one time to where they lifted the box up and it was all these different kinds of heads. It was a sheep head, a cow head, a hog head, a fish head. Some of you here in Cajun country said, oh, yeah, Chad, that's what I'm talking about. We're going to make us a couvillon now. (laughs) It was kind of nasty, though. When some of them looked at it, they turned their noses up. But on the count of three, each person will take their box And they will lift it up and all of the ingredients for that day's challenge will be revealed. Now it's not put together. No other instructions come along with it. But as you look at this, you can see some familiar ingredients here. You see a base ingredient. You got some flour. You got some baking soda and some salt. Some sugar. You really don't know what I'm getting at yet. It kind of looks like a cake maybe. Got some butter. If it was Paula Dean, there would be like four or five sticks of butter up there. You got some vanilla, you got some brown sugar, but it's not until I reveal uh, there's an egg, the key ingredient. Some of you know where I'm headed at. It's some kind of cookie probably. When you see us the chocolate chips, you know exactly right away we're out to bake some chocolate chip cookies, and you've got to have this ingredient. Now, in and of these uh, themselves, none of these are ingredients that you would consume an entire serving of on their own. Maybe the chocolate chips. Some of you could probably down a bag full of these. But all-purpose flour, you wouldn't just take a mouthful of it and pop it in and start chewing on it. The baking soda, definitely you wouldn't. The salt, you wouldn't. None of these things, you wouldn't just sit there with a stick of butter and chaw on it until it was gone. But in and of themselves, these ingredients aren't good for you. They're not very tasteful on their own, but when they are combined together, they make something It is very, very tasty. It's appealing to the eye. And these mystery box challenges, that's what they come out with. Man, they they come out with a plate in the end. It's all decorated. They got the little sauces smeared and decorated, little words written. And it just looks good. It's appealing. That's one of the parts of the contest is to make a plate that is appealing to the eye, but also that is very, very tasteful. So if you think of these ingredients as spiritual gifts, each one serves a specific purpose. But the thing about it is, is that God does not conceal his will or our spiritual gifts from us. He wants us to be certain of why we're here, what he has gifted us with, and how he can use it. And time and time and time again throughout the scriptures, God said, I want you to know what my will for your life is. He says, I'm not, here. I'm not concealing it from you. I'm not hiding it from you, but it is your responsibility to mine through the scriptures, to do your homework, and to unearth what your spiritual gift is. 
Write down this verse, Jeremiah 29, 13. God says, you will seek me and you will find me if you will search for me with your whole heart. Amen? Proverbs 8, 17 says this, I love those who love me and those who seek me will find me. Does it sound like God is wanting to conceal anything from us? No. He says, I'm not hiding anything from you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. I, I quote this verse all the time. Jesus said, Ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks will receive. He says, If you want to know what your spiritual gift is, ask about it. Find out about it. Ask others. Ask me. Pray to me. He also says, Seek and you'll find it. If you look for it hard enough, long enough and do your homework, you're going to find out exactly what it is that you've been gifted with. And he says, knocking it will be open unto you. Hebrews 11.6 clearly says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So first of all, spiritual gifts are not concealed. If you don't know what it is, it's not God's fault. He, he's not covering it up with a mystery box. He's laying it all out here in the scriptures. It's in several different places. It takes a little work. It takes a little study and it takes a little effort on your part. But God said, you'll find out if you're the flour or you're the baking soda, you're the salt. What part of the, uh, of the recipe are you? What ingredient are you? Because think about it. I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not. But if you remove any of these ingredients, it's just not going to taste the same. If I forget to put the eggs in, look, I was cooking some corn. Y'all know how much I love my cornbread. I was cooking cornbread one day, and I didn't have any eggs. I said, well, you know, how big of a difference could it make? Y'all, that was some of the flattest, hardest, crunchiest cornbread I've ever had before in my life. That one ingredient missing out made a huge difference in the overall recipe. Point number two, spiritual gifts are distinct. Look at verses four through six. He says there are diversities of gift. And that word diversities in the Greek language is the word diaresis, which means a distribution or a variety of gifts. He says there's a diversity of gifts. He says there's a multitude of gifts, and it depends on what list you're looking at. It could be as many as 16 different spiritual gifts. There's a various amount of spiritual gifts. Which one do I have? I can see what God has gifted you with. I can see your usefulness. I can see what your hands can do, what your mind can do. I can see what you've been trained maybe in a secular career to do, but I can also see what God has gifted you to do. A lot of times it's a lot easier for another person to identify your spiritual gift than it is for you to identify it. But there's a various amount. They are distinct. They are separate. Uh, they're just as different as salt and sugar. That They look the same. I'll tell you what, they taste a whole lot differently, don't they? How many of you are going to go put salt in your sweet tea? <laughs> it's just not going to be the same, is it? 
But they are so distinct, they taste differently, they do different things. So are your spiritual gifts. Not everyone has the same spiritual gift. The church would not function if everybody had the gift of teaching. If everybody had the gift of teaching, we'd have a bunch of teachers with no students. We wouldn't need four or five, six different Sunday school classes. There would be nobody to listen, nobody to learn. If everybody was a preacher, guess what? There wouldn't be anybody out here for me to preach to. I'd be out of a job because we'd all be preaching. But there would be no congregation to preach to. There would be nobody for me to shepherd. And so each one of the spiritual gifts gifts are distinct. And he gets into that later on in this passage. He said, just like the eye and the hand are differently, so are the spiritual gifts when they're incorporated in a body of believers. Number three, we see that spiritual gifts are for each member's benefit. They're for each member to benefit. He says right there in verse 7 that they are for the profit of ALL, all, every one of us. Your spiritual gift is here for my benefit just as much as my spiritual gift is here for your benefit. And the person right next to you, guess what? They're here to benefit you as well. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, thanks for being here. Turn to your other neighbor and say, hey, let's work on this together. You're here to benefit each other. You're here to complement each other. You're here to work together. That word profit there in the Greek language is the word symphero. It's where we get our English word symphony from. Think about a band that is warming up before a big concert. If you've ever been to an orchestra or a symphony, you know that before the show starts, they're all coming out at different times. What are they doing? They're warming up. They're getting their their instrument tuned up. It's just a bunch of different beats, a bunch of different sounds playing at different notes. None of it sounds real good, but I'll tell you what. When that conductor comes out and he taps his little stick, Everything comes to a silence. And when he begins, guess what? It's a sound that is just so pleasant, so soothing, because everyone is in unity. They all benefit and complement each other by the sound and the instrument that they play. At first, nothing sounded good. It all sounded like chaos. It sounded like it was unorganized. But then the the maestro, the conductor steps up, And when he brings everybody together all at once, man, it's just a pleasant sound. And the music flows evenly. Each note is is played at the perfect time and played together. And it's played for the benefit of what is written on that musical sheet. And for the hearers to listen to something that, man, it just takes you to another place. It's so soothing and so peaceful. That's because everything that was once chaos and confusion has now come together in unity for one common cause and for the benefit. The benefits of these spiritual gifts coming together is unity in the body, harmony in the body. Later on in chapter 12, Paul says, I want you to understand this because there should be no schism, no separation, no division in the body. And it's something that's beneficial to God's kingdom as it works together. 
But what happens when there is disunity in the body? Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 17. He says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. Paul says there are going to actually be some people who try to cause division in disunity. He says those are the people you need to avoid. But when you see someone who is trying to strike up the band and bring everybody in one unified accord, he said that's when spiritual gifts are working the way that they should. So if, if, you're, if you've joined us in the journey of reading through the Bible in a year, we, we brought out uh, some chronological Bibles on January 1st. Uh, there's still a few left. If you want to get one of those and get in with us on that, you can read, double up on your reading and still catch up. Or you can start right now and just read through the Bible in a year at your own pace. But if you're reading through that with us right now, you're currently in the Old Testament book of Numbers. One of the first significant events in the book of Numbers takes place in chapter 13. Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. They haven't yet entered there. They're closed. They're wanting to go in. But Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. They go out and they scout the land for 40 days. Joshua and Caleb are two of those that go out and scope out the promised land. When they come back after 40 days... Here's what they said. The first two to report were Joshua and Caleb. They said, man, this is a good land. Here's some of the fruit that we brought back from it. It is a land that is flowing with milk and honey, just like God promised. He said, but he said, there's fortified cities. There's giants there. But here's what they said. They said, we can conquer this land. Let's go right now. That was the report by only two people. The other 10 said this. They said, oh, no, we can't do it. That they're too big for us to conquer. Their fear canceled out their faith. And they said, we can't do it. That wasn't enough for them to come back and give Moses that report. They began going through the, throughout the camp of the Israelites, spreading this gossip, spreading this bad news. And what they did is they created disunity among God's people. And the result of that was they wandered in the wilderness for the next 40 years. God said, because of your disobedience, because of your lack in faith in me, for every day that the spies were scoping out the promised land, I'm going to make you wander for a year in the wilderness. And he said, there's not going to be any of this generation that crosses over into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb, the two that believed in me enough to do what I have enabled them to do. And so we see what disunity does among God's people. Spiritual gifts are for unity. They are for everyone's benefit. When you obey God and you implement your spiritual gift, there will be sometimes negative reports along the way. However, when you begin seeking and exploring and becoming obedient to what the Lord is asking you to do, not only will you benefit, but the entire congregation will benefit from it as well. It's not just for you to grow in your Christian faith. 
It's not just for you to walk around and say, look, I found my spiritual gift. But I'm not going to use it in the body. That's not what it's there for. It's there for you to get plugged in somewhere. Find out what God's doing and get involved and implement that spiritual gift and begin using it for the benefit of the whole body. And last, I want you to see that spiritual gifts work in conjunction with each other. There's a lot of different words I could have used there. I think the catch word now is collaboration. But I, I like the word conjunction because it, it shows that if something is being coupled together with another thing. In the English language, we have conjunctions. That they join phrases and sentences together. How many of you used to watch Schoolhouse Rock? <laughs> Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up phrases and clauses and words. But that's what spiritual gifts do. That They bring us together in conjunction with one another. That way one person doesn't have to do the entire work themselves. Ecclesiastes says that two are better than one, for they have a good reward for their labor. So as we work together with our spiritual gifts, these ingredients that I have here on this table, like I pointed out before already, on their own, they're nothing. On their own, you wouldn't consume them by themselves. But when they work in conjunction with each other, at the right amount, at the right of time, blended together, put in the oven for a certain period of time. They work in conjunction with each other to create something that is appealing to the eye and very, very tasteful. That's the same way that spiritual gifts are when they work in conjunction with each other. So let's go back and look at how many times the word same is used throughout this passage. And I want you to notice how Paul mentions each part of the Holy Trinity in verses Four through six. He says there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. If you're not highlighting or underlining the word same, be doing that because that is something that Paul is trying to emphasize here. He says, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all and in all, for the profit of all. He says that the word of knowledge is given to some through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. And in verse 11 he says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he has. So this past week, Marcia and I spent some time up in the Atlanta, Georgia area. We went to a conference for a few days, and Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, there was a forecast for rain, so we began looking for things to do inside, uh, some indoor activities. We found out that the Georgia Aquarium was right there in Atlanta, so we figured we'd spend some time in the Atlanta area and go to the aquarium before heading back home. We've been to aquariums before, but it's been a long time, and I'm always interested in the underwater world. Uh, I'm afraid of sharks, but I don't mind watching them when they're in a tank. And that's one of the places we spent a lot of time at was just watching the sharks. I didn't see any great white sharks, uh, but we did see a few swimming around. And we noticed there that the lady was telling us all about the sharks, how they're predators, how they like to eat. 
And so there were uh, sand sharks, tiger sharks, nurse sharks, and they were all just swimming around. There was a few hammerhead sharks. But what I began to notice was in the middle of this tank, there was a school of fish, little bitty fish, probably no bigger than my hand. And they were all staying together. You didn't see any of these little fish swimming out on their own because there was sharks circling on the outside of the school. But this school of fish was in a constant swirl. And it would change shapes and it would change sizes and it would move around. They would keep about a two or three foot foot distance between the school of fish and the sharks. They knew when the sharks were getting close. And so she began talking about the sharks and how uh, they eat all the time. They never sleep. They are the predators of the ocean. And I began asking the lady, I said, you know, well, what keeps the sharks from just diving into that school of fish and eating one of those? She said, well... She said, these sharks are well-fed. She said, they eat better than we do. They eat restaurant-quality food. They eat halibut. They eat mackerel. They eat different kinds of fish that we serve to them every day. These sharks are full. They're not hungry. She said, but the little fish don't know that. (laughs) So the little fish, in a defense mechanism, they're staying together. They're staying huddled up. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to create the illusion of a much larger creature than what they are. Together, they look huge. They look like one big, massive fish that the sharks aren't going to tangle with. So think about that in the context of the church. If we stay together, if we work together, we have an enemy who never sleeps. He's prowling about. He's looking for that one fish that gets away from the group that's working by himself, that doesn't rely on the strength of the other fish. And these fish, boy, they would change shapes, they would move around, but they never stopped spinning, they never stopped swimming around. They never broke out into a smaller group, they never broke out individuals. Let me just go out and say this, there is no such thing as the Lone Ranger Christian. You are not meant to live this life on your own. You are not meant to discover your spiritual gift and try to go outside of a church body. Whether it's this congregation or another congregation somewhere else, you need to be plugged in. Say, I need you. You need me. We need each other. And we need to be moving on together for this common goal because there's an enemy out there that wants to see us divided and separated and working in disunity. And so our spiritual gifts work in conjunction with each other for the benefit of the whole body. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 17. There's there's a connection I want to make here that is very, very important. When we're talking about the same Lord, the same Spirit, and the same God who works all and in all. Chapter 17 of the Gospel of John is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his death. This is what he prayed, not only for himself, but for his disciples and for all believers, the believers that would soon come. Look at verse 9. I want to pick up right there. This is where Jesus is praying for his disciples in particular. Jesus says this. He says, I'll pray for them, 
Now let's just stop right there. If I were to go any further, how awesome is it that Jesus, the creator of this world, the savior of this world, took time to pray for us, to pray for his disciples. And the Bible says in Hebrews that he continuously does that. Even now as our high priest, he goes before the Lord in prayer and intercedes for us. He says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And when he talks about the word world there, he's talking about the world system, not necessarily the planet Earth. He says, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given to me. He's praying for the specific 12 at this time that they may be as one. Does that sound like a separated body to you? No, he's saying there's got to be unity there. He says, I want them to be unified. I want them to be joined together. I want them to be working together. He said that they may be as one. And so later in this prayer, he would go on to pray about those believers who would come again, that they would become disciples as well. But if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a person that has been bought by the blood, you've been born again, this prayer is for you. This prayer is specifically for us to be as one, just as Jesus and the Father were one. Isn't that a blessing to know? Isn't that good to know? That they may be as one. Let's go back to our ingredients here for just a moment as we wrap things up. So these ingredients, they do no good as they are by themselves. So we have to take them out in, in equal proportions. According to the recipe, we add a little flour we add a little baking soda. We add a little salt, a little sugar. We put everything together. Sometimes it have to, has to be beaten a little bit. We'll put all the ingredients in the bowl, and we'll whisk it up, stir it up, make sure it's all coming together nice and smooth the way that it should. All of these ingredients, in essence, are ready to be used, except for one. The chocolate chips, all I have to do is open the package and dump them in there. They're ready to go. The brown sugar, all I have to do is open it up and measure it out in a little scoop, and it's ready to go. Back to the old egg again. I know I've used the egg several times. But the egg is the only ingredient that basically I'm not going to just throw it in there as it is. Man, you'd have eggshells and all kinds of stuff floating around in your chocolate chip cookies that you don't want. Not necessarily what's on the outside of the egg that I want to use. I can't think of a thing in the world. I can't a recipe anywhere that calls for egg shells. Can you? You get a little bitty piece in your scrambled egg while you're trying to. Have you ever tried to get a little piece of broken shell out of your scrambled egg? It's hard to do, isn't it? You stick your finger in there and it goes the opposite way. You stick your spoon in there and it falls out the side. The shell's not the part. What's on, what you want to use is on the inside. Think of this as your spiritual gift. 
What does God have to do to you to get that spiritual gift out to where it's useful? What does God have to do? All of these other ingredients are in place. They're all there. And if this is your spiritual gift, what does he have to do to get that spiritual gift out and into a place to where it's useful? I'm going to go on the record by saying this. Some of you have yet to use your spiritual gift because you haven't been broken yet. God only uses broken things. And you know as well as I do, God doesn't take you and I'm not going to crush your egg, don't worry. It's not going to splatter all over you, Bill, don't worry about that. God wouldn't take you in the palm of his hand and just squeeze you until you burst open. Because then you would have eggshell, you would have yolk, you would have egg whites. Everything would be just a big, nasty blob. And none of you that I know of that spend time in the kitchen will use an egg in a recipe and just hold your hand over this bowl and crush it until everything comes oozing out. Now, you might use your hands to separate the egg yolks from the egg whites. But for God to get you in a position to where your spiritual gift is out and useful to the rest of the body, he doesn't just put you in his hand and crush you. The picture that we get of us in God's hand is him protecting us. Jesus says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. As long as you're in God's hand, you're in a good position. You're safe. But that's not where God wants to leave you at. Some of you have yet to explore and use and implement your spiritual gift because you haven't experienced brokenness in your life. And what God is doing to you right now, and he's gently tapping, he says, there's something inside that I want to get out of you. There are certain trials that you have to go through. There's a certain place to where you have to be before you're ready to submit to me. And everything that is good and useful on the inside finally comes out to where I can use it. He says it's at that point where I know you're ready for me to use. I can remember as a 17-year-old boy Going into my senior year in high school, God broke me of my sin and he saved me and he rescued me. And he gave me a new life. My life has never been the same. It hasn't been all that it should have been. But it wasn't until I was about 44 years old where God really broke me and put me in a position where I could be used for his kingdom. And I fully submitted. I said, God, whatever I have, I want you to use. And so some of you here today, that's the position that you're in. God is taking you through something. He's gently tapping. He's working out all those rough spots. He's cracking the shell and getting you in the position where you are willing and able and ready to be used. Is that you today? Have you fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here today and say, I have Jesus as my Savior. I know he saved me, but do you call him Lord? 
He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Either he's the Lord of your life, he's ruling, he's controlling. He is seated on the throne of your life, ruling and controlling everything that you do, or you are still on the throne saying, this is my life, don't touch it. I'm not going to yield to you just yet. And you're not going to be useful until you're broken. When you finally are, God finally comes together as one unified, beautiful thing. The finished product is something like this. Something that is appealing to the eye. It's ready to be consumed. And it's something that God says, this is what I wanted all along. But I was missing the piece of the puzzle. And once that product is complete, once it's completely finished, man, not only does it look good, it's appealing. Everybody wants one. (laughs) I want some of that. I, I see what's going on. I see how God has brought everything together. Now there's something that's sweet, something that's tasteful. Tell me how that is. Take a little bite. that one of the best chocolate chip cookies you've ever had before in your life? <laughs> Are you willing to let God use you? You're just as different as anyone else. You may not think the same. You may not look the same. We're all different. We're all created differently. We're all wired differently. But not everyone here is fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ yet. Not everyone has bowed down at his feet and said, God, wherever you send me, that's where I'll go. Whatever you ask me to do, that's what I want to do. No matter how big the job may be, no matter how small it may be, no matter how meaningless it may appear, but God, whatever it is, no matter how big or small, no matter how far, that's what I want for my life. And God is trying to bring you through something right now to bring you to a period of brokenness. There's power in brokenness. It's nothing to be ashamed of. So maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. God is still working out that sin in your life. Maybe you haven't submitted to him. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've been separated from you by my sin. I know that I've lived a rebellious life. I know I've lived a disobedient life. But today, Lord, you are breaking me in my sin, and I feel it in my heart. He's speaking to your mind. He's tugging at your heart. He's saying, I want you, and I want you, and I want you in my family, in a body of believers somewhere, so that I can use you to create something that is beautiful and useful and beneficial to my kingdom. Every head bowed and every eye closed. The invitation this morning is pretty clear. People that are here today, those who are lost, those who are saved, those who are separated because of their sin, or those who are blood-bought, born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have yet to decide 
to make Jesus Lord of their life or those who have already decided where he leads me, that's where I'm going to go. I want I want to be obedient to the things that he's asked me to do. That's the position I want to bring you to today. These days, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you done that already? Have you bowed down your knee and confessed your sin and asked Jesus to come into your life and save you? If not, you start today by saying, God, Sin has separated me from you. And as best as I can, I sin and I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and to set me free and to make me a new creation. Today I ask you to come into my life, cleanse me of my sin and make me a new creature. And help me to be a member of the body of Christ. To find out what my spiritual gift is. To be used by something greater than myself. And as best as I can, I call you Lord, Savior, and ruler of my life. If you'll say a prayer like that, if you'll just confess to him, if you'll bow down, you'll give him full control. According to his word, he will save you. The Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sins. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's a decision you need to make, then as soon as the music starts, you make your way to the front and say, Brother Tracy, I want to know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of my life. But maybe you're here today and you haven't submitted to the Lordship of Christ. You know that you've been born again. You know that you're a Christian. You know that if you die today, you would spend eternity in heaven. But yet you have not submitted to his will and his way for your life. These altars will be open for you as well. You just do business with the Lord in whatever way he's leading you. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We commit this time of invitation to you. God, I thank you that you do not conceal your will from our lives. But you make it crystal clear when, where, and how you want us to live our lives for you. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day they would step out in faith and begin that journey on discovering who you are and what you have in store for the remainder of their lives. We just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.